Hello, everybody. My name is Katherine Barron. I'm a longtime education reporter, and I'm excited to be hosting The Score, a podcast about academic integrity and cheating. Over six episodes of The Score, we'll be looking at the landscape of cheating in school and taking a closer look at some of the issues at play in this multifaceted issue challenging academia today. How big a problem is it? Who cheats? What are schools and colleges doing to address the problem? What's the impact of cheating on society and on our lives? And perhaps the biggest question, why do people cheat? We'll ask the experts to provide insights into what's happening in our classrooms. We'll talk with a journalist who writes about academic integrity. We'll talk with leading scholars and educators who have published research and articles about cheating. And we'll hear from students themselves about why they think cheating is so pervasive. We'll also ask our guests to weigh in on regulatory and legislative action and other policies that they think may work to curb cheating. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at podcastthescore, one word, or stop by our website to download show notes and see our lineup of guests and release dates. We're at podcastthescore.com. Again, that's podcastthescore.com. On this episode of The Score, we'll examine who cheats and what colleges and universities are doing about it with Jarrett Dyer. Jarrett is a test center administrator at the College of DuPage, a former president at NCTA, that's the National College Testing Association. He's chair of multiple academic integrity committees and co-investigator on several research projects. He frequently presents internationally on academic integrity and test security, and is a self-described test security and academic integrity crusader. Welcome to The Score, Jarrett. Thank you very much, Catherine. It's my pleasure to be here, and thank you for that great opening. I'd like to start with a question that may seem obvious. What's considered cheating today? Is it black and white in scope, or are there gradations? You know, is it like copying someone's test answers? looking up answers on your phone during an exam? Is it plagiarism? Is it fudging results of an experiment? All of the above? <laughs> That's a great question. One that is constantly evolving. So thank you for opening with that. And I guess let's just really get into it, right? So yes, all of the above. What we're seeing now really in 2021, really coming out of, of a you know year and a half of pandemic is, is that the landscape has changed, right? When we talked before about bringing you know a cheat sheet with answer strings you know into a test, writing the classic of writing answers on the bottom of your shoe, things have, have changed quite a bit. There's a lot more in the digital space that students can have access to, cell phone obviously provide a lot more. But we're now also seeing what we typically had reserved more for like the high stakes and licensure space coming into academia. So harvesting content for distribution on academic social networking sites. Can you explain what that is, harvesting? Yeah, harvesting. So uh, walking in and perhaps taking a picture of an exam page, taking a picture of a final Scantron, and then uploading it after the fact for others to view and to study prior to their exam. So the harvesting would be the removal of the content and then the distribution after. Um, we hadn't seen as much uh, previously, maybe micro pockets, right? A small group of students would have a, a page on a website, like a folder where they would drop things into. But now uh, we have these large 
educational networking sites where, frankly, somebody could upload something from halfway across the globe uh, and a student here and in the Midwest of the United States would be able to download it and find it online. So let me unpack that a little bit more. You had asked what is cheating and if there are gradations or if it's black and white. I I think um, that it really depends on who you ask. So I think that in and of itself is an answer, right? It's clearly not black and white. Uh, from, from our own research, we found that students, in essence, think it's conditional. It really depends on if the institution has provided them with the ability to cheat their words, not mine, or if there were preventative measures to keep them from cheating. I know in some institutions, the academic integrity culture is really driven by the academic deans or judicial council, and there are others that it's really driven by faculty. And there are positives and there are challenges with both of them, but throughout it, like communication really is the key. Now, really more than ever, Students are faced with more challenges. There's more technology being thrown at them. But I want to think of an example here from a student perspective, right? So if a student is sent home with a chemistry lab or they're working remotely in a virtual classroom and they're told that they're allowed to collaborate and they're allowed to use open notes. And so that's class A. But then they go to class B and that faculty response is you're allowed to open note, open book, but please don't collaborate. Well, from a student perspective, collaboration and open notes is very similar. However, from the faculty's perspective, it's extremely different. You know, want to know the group, if the group came up with the right answer, if you were able to come up with the right answer on your own. So in, in that example, communication is, is really the most effective way to get students to understand. And simply saying, you know, my perspective, well, it's in the syllabus, they should know it, is not really where we, we need to be as far as communication. So it, it is in some ways up to the teacher or the professor to say, here's what you can and can't do. You know? There are institutions that are designed that way, right? Uh, our, our own here at College of DuPage, the first line with the students is, is that contractual piece in the syllabi, right? What it says in the syllabi is really what goes. And faculty have the freedom to decide whether um, it's going to be more you know, a lenient conversation or if it's going to be an F on the project. Again, there's there's benefits to that, but one of the challenges is if the, the practice is different from class to class, then it's imperative that the communication takes place and the importance of that so the students know what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. Well, that can be very confusing for students. In class A, this professor says, hey, you guys can collaborate. And in class B, the professor says, no way, that's not happening. I, I just think it it's kind of it almost should be a university-wide process here of, of what works. So it's interesting you say that, and I'll you know go on the other side and, and play the devil's advocate here. We obviously believe that this is the appropriate way. There There's good research that support an institution-wide commitment, but there's also an aspect that who truly knows the best thing for that particular course, right? So I, I obviously gave a very close uh, example and, and some of the issues with that, but there's no one better than the faculty member of that particular course to know whether collaboration is appropriate or not. So it gets into that area of uh, who knows best. Well, at the end of the day, then communication becomes the key ingredient in that scenario to allow for the best learning outcomes, but also allow you know clarity for students. In a school that has an honor code, does it allow for that kind of difference in classes? For Does it give the professors that kind of leeway? 
To my knowledge, I've never seen a honor code that would specifically detail out what a faculty member could or could not do as far as a learning outcome. It's not to say that it's not there, but I, again, what becomes crucial is the expectation, right? So a faculty's expectation of what can and cannot be done in a classroom, really communicating that part, because really in no way would collaborating on a homework or a lab be somehow like an honor code violation, unless it was a violation of the expectations of the faculty, right? And so that's where it really gets into that communication piece, as is is the behavior in violation of an expectation, or is it in line with the expectation, and what has been done to present that to the students? You published an article last year in the Journal of the National College Testing Association. It was titled Academic Dishonesty and Testing, How Student Beliefs and Test Setting Impact Decisions to Cheat. And it examines who cheats and in what subjects they're most likely to cheat. Uh, Can you give us a Short overview of what you found. Sure, sure, absolutely. Eye-opening. It did share a lot with us. Specifically, we were looking at environmental factors. That was one of the the biggest areas the investigators and I were looking at. Uh, We were drawing on previous research that really had suggested that engineering business, and in some cases, nursing students, had the highest self-reports of cheating. So I want to clarify that at this point, right? So we're most of the research, going back all the way to the 60s, all relies on self-reports. So we, we focus specifically on engineering students, first and second year engineering students, and looked at their responses, A, to the environment, and then if the environment changed their behaviors. And I'll just read this for you. Uh, We we found that more than half of the students, so about 61%, interviewed admitted to having cheating on tests. They do not do it very often, and in generally do not think it's acceptable, but here comes the but. (laughs) But more than three quarters, so 75%, Uh, do not consider all types of cheating that we presented them with as totally unacceptable. So in other words, many students view academic integrity as conditional. And what are those conditions? Well, conditional depending on the framework that it is presented to them. You know, students are more likely to think that cheating is acceptable, even expected, if a test is given without a proctor. That's really interesting. I I just think just because there's not someone in the room who tells you not to do it, Mm -hmm. you would think that college students know that it's not okay to do it. So, and what we're finding, what previous research prior to ours really has shown is that there's been a bit of a transition to an expectation for the institution to demonstrate the importance of why the the action should not why the cheating should not take place as opposed to just don't do it because and in many ways i kind of understand right we've transitioned a lot you know having spoken with students and talked about and unpacked this it it does make sense on some level if you you sit in their shoes but that doesn't make it acceptable and so really it becomes more of a burden on the institution to work more proactively to engage students, to get them to understand that maybe what they've experienced prior in education, we need a paradigm shift. We, 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 we need to nip it, right? We need to flip it to be a good global citizen, but it's not going to happen on its own. Of the students who responded to our survey that it was never acceptable to to cheat on a proctor test, almost 30% said that it was at least somewhat acceptable to cheat 
uh, when the test was not proctored. And of those who said they had never cheated in a proctored environment, fully one quarter said they cheated at least occasionally on a proctored test. In the survey, were students asked why they thought it was okay? They were, and now we're going to delve into the less scientific but the more fascinating part of the price. So we added this student open responses. First of all, they didn't come from everyone. I want to be very clear about that, right? So we we were able to do a little bit of an analysis, but we shared them because I felt like they were very eye-opening. And so let me read a couple of them, right? Uh, if you want, so directly from students, this is open response from our survey. If you want to lower the rate of academic dishonesty, you must begin to enhance the value of education to students as opposed to the value of the grade. Uh, another student responded, in our society today, grades are more important than knowledge. We all must compete with this, so in order to keep up, most resort to cheating. And the last I'll share at this point, I will use any resource I can to succeed if I can get away with it. I would be an idiot not to. I've heard that one actually quite a bit. And and it's frightening, actually. I mean, I, I wonder, should we be alarmed? Because you, you mentioned engineering and nursing. I, I really don't want to, you know, go into a hospital and have a nurse who cheated, mm -hmm. um, you know, working on me. That just, it, it just seems a little bit scary. So, I, I, I mean, what, what have you heard? Have, have you interviewed some of the, you know, hospitals or or other businesses where they've talked about having students who did not have the knowledge but did well in school? Um, fa fascinating question. I'll, I'll answer it this way. So no, I, I haven't interviewed any of our local hospitals or communities, but now I'm writing this down for a note. So thanks for the idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have been at enough you know, test security presentations by colleagues who usually start with a, a story of a an individual who... I mean, and terrifying stuff, right? Uh, an airplane crash or, you know, a ship going off course or, or things of this nature where it was shown that there had been um, either large-scale cheating or, or particular cheating within a certain area. Um, and and you, have to, you have to ask yourself, does, did one lead to the other, right? Was that pilot um, or that captain not capable of, of doing it because of this? And so, yeah, I, I do think we should be alarmed. Um, I, we actually posed this question to to our students here, and we said, listen, we're, we're the academics, we're staff, uh, we don't want a top-down approach to this, so what do you think a cheating campaign or an anti-cheating campaign should look like, and how would you make a video? to that, right? What fascinated me is, is first of all, we did like a slogan contest and came back with chaps don't cheat. They're like, we want it simple. That's it. Raise, you know, chaps don't cheat. We are the chaparrals, um, our mascot. It's short for chap, you know, we chat, we shorten it to the chaps or so chaps don't cheat. That's us. Um, but then they, they, we went to our MPTV department and said, here's kind of the data from students. Would you be willing to just put your heads together and create a few videos on what you think is the appropriate message to get out to students. And I came back with three, right? One was this scenario in our EMT department where a student goes to bed with a cheat sheet for their test and they have this nightmare that they're trying to use the stethoscope on the person's forehead and they don't you know, know any of the information. They wake up panicked and then like they throw their cheat sheet in the garbage, right? There's another one where a student is plagiarizing and she's in handcuffs at a 
table and there's two police officers yelling at her for, you know, destroying the reputation of the institution. And then a third, you know, we, we use those as the two like crazy examples that there's a third one of our English faculty, you know, walks up to a student at the end of class in the video and says, hey, I got your rough draft. Yeah. Did, did you know that, uh, you know, the actual song that you were writing about was originally somebody else's? Huh? Yeah. Well, by the time you hand in the final draft, do you think you could do a little bit of a deeper dive? And that's kind of the message that we really want to get out to students. This is a learning institution. When you leave us, it's a different story. But for the years that you're here, um, in the years that you're in higher ed, let's have these educational moments so that we can explain why it's important and we can catch you before you fail. That doesn't mean we're not going to have sanctions. It doesn't mean we might even ask someone to leave every once in a while. But we're going to give you some chances along the way. You talked about how students acknowledge that cheating is not really the right thing to do, but they have all these excuses about why they have to do it. For the students who say they really don't believe in cheating, but feel they have to do it, do you have a sense that there's cognitive dissonance there, that maybe they don't really see themselves as cheaters, even when they're uploading test questions, you know, to one, harvesting the questions to an open site that other students can see and use? You know, that's an excellent question. And and really, from our research, what we found that there's a lot of rationalization and that students really, they think about the cheating behavior and they, they, they state that they tell themselves that if an instructor did not want us to cheat, they would not make it so easy for us to do so. So placing the blame back on either the faculty or the institution for making it so easy. And what's, again, alarming, as you had said about that, is on the flip side, previous research has shown that faculty don't believe that as much cheating is going on as students do. So if you're seeing kind of a V-shaped perspective here with faculty thinking that there's less cheating going on and students thinking that the faculty are making it easier for them to cheat, then that proliferation um, kind of goes unchecked where it, it needs, in many ways, and I'll say this again, I, I think most institutions really need to treat this like a holistic paradigm shift. Here we often talk about when our campus went from a smoking allowed in certain areas to a smoke-free campus and the way that we approached that from a holistic perspective. There was signage everywhere. There were weekly communications. There were friendly reminders by police officers, faculty, and even fellow students, right? There was no way to walk on our campus and not know at that point that you had entered a smoke-free environment. I think institutions need to approach academic integrity post the pandemic in much the same way. There needs to be no place on campus that you can go where you're not receiving a similar message. Uh, here at the College of DuPage, one of the things that we've done, we, we, we did a poster campaign to align with the International Day of Academic Integrity and Against Contract Cheating uh, in October. And every single classroom on campus, we used to have a legal size 
poster that said Chapstone Sheet. Uh, we've refreshed those almost every semester since we started. So when a faculty member sits down and looks at the syllabi, explores an issue or sits down with a student and said, hey, listen, I noticed that you were looking at so-and-so's paper. The messaging is everywhere. So you run a testing center at the College of DuPage. Can you explain how that center functions on campus? Do students go and take high stakes exams there or, or what happens? So excellent. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking because our situation is a little unique. We actually have two side-by-side -side centers here on the main campus, one for mostly academic functions and one for specialized or high stakes exams. Uh, and interestingly enough, since we started several years back, the, the line has actually become blurred. And, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But we also have four additional centers in the community. We are a community college, so two-year school. And so in the community where courses are held, that they run the full gamut of college placement tests, they do high stakes testing, and they do some academic testing as well. So how we function, um, I, I find it fascinating. It, it's it's a, a lot more than just testing, right? We, we not only work with those areas, but we also work actively uh, here with faculty for the integration into courses of some of those high stakes tests um, that really, so there's, there's a, a large workforce uh, push, right? So you get uh, college students, things like the Microsoft Office Specialist certifications or QuickBooks by Intuit certifications. Our HVAC students are taking some of the required EPA exams, et cetera. And what I mean by course integration is that where previously, you know, the previous model was to prepare students and then show them where the testing center was or where a testing location is um, and, and say, you know, you're prepared, go out and good luck. Where now the new model that we've really pushed for is to work to the extent to get the actual certification part of the actual course file with the state. So in order to get a final grade in the test, they actually have to sit for the certification. We've seen that for student success and retention and it's really worked well, but it makes us fully integrated on the process. Another post-pandemic silver lining, frankly, is because of where we've had a transition, we have created actually a virtual testing center where we have staff that are now working fully remotely, virtually proctoring students who are only taking online or hybrid courses. Along with that, as you could imagine, is also a large portion of our um, commitment coming out of the last 18 months is working with our third-party proctoring vendor as well. So being a liaison here on campus, working with faculty to get their courses, not necessarily uploaded, that's that's fairly easy, but to to follow up to look at academic integrity reports or to, to view um, some, some of the questions. So a lot of times, if you have not seen them, if a person takes a a test online with like a, a remote proctoring vendor, it will record the session and it will kick out suspicious reports that are then reviewed um, by the the an individual, a qualified individual, um, for review for the faculty. So the faculty will often reach out to our testing center and say, hey, can I get a second set of eyes on this? I see something going on, but I'm not 100% sure what it is. So we, we, actually, we spend a lot of time now working with our faculty and being that liaison with a third party. And then as you 
probably imagine prior to, we did a lot of work with the community that has decreased significantly. It's starting to build back up, but really strategically we've refocused on those previous items more so than just the community, although we hope to explore that more in the future. But as times have changed, everyone needs to evolve as well. Many community members taking high stakes exams are now afforded the the ability to take those remotely from their homes, right? Um, and so some are choosing to do that, some are choosing to come back to to the brick and mortar testing center. What's interesting to me about the doing the combination of taking the course and then getting your licensing, taking the licensing test mm -hmm. as part of mm -hmm. passing that class, is that you really, if students cheat, they're not going to pass that. They won't, they, the end result won't be what they're looking for. So it does provide that very strong incentive of, I'm here, I, I really need to learn this stuff, or I'm wasting my time being here. It also you know, it, it kind of hits on all of the points that we were we were talking about with that course integration, because it shows them a clear path for as why they need to engage in ethical behavior, obviously, but also shows that the institution, the faculty, even the state are all in line in this pursuit, and it becomes important and they become engaged, right? So all the points are communicated the, the way that we would like them to in that part. And, and frankly, to date in those particular um, those courses in, in, in those pilots that we've done, uh, the, the level of academic dishonesty has been significantly lower than, than what is typically published uh, in the research. Well, I would think that they tell students, hey, there's a support center here for you. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a system. We're going to keep working with you until you can pass this. Whereas if you graduate, you, you get your certificate from the college or your AA degree, but then you go out and take the test and don't get the licensing, you're kind of out there alone mm -hmm. and you could give up more easily. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what the, the trend for the use of testing centers is on campuses. Are, are more universities and colleges moving toward the physical ten testing centers that you have at DuPage? You know, it's a great question and honestly it's quite mixed and over the last 18 months we've kind of debated the we've been in debates you know colleagues of mine on both sides and we've had very um strong opinions if you will on whether brick and mortar testing centers are here to stay or they're they're going out i know here um, our utilization is now more than ever um, it's been a decision that we've made, but the focus has changed. We've been focusing more on that integration, more on our students, and less so on the high-stakes side of things, just given kind of that shift. And that was completely the opposite two years ago. High stakes was, you know, we made sure that we constantly had seats for students, but if they didn't fill the seats, we'd have community members filling those seats. Other universities and other institutions, I really think it depends on the advocacy for things like workforce development um, and credentialing and integration, et cetera. And some are going the other direction. Some are, are going fully online or um, working with third-party remote proctors to deliver a lot of the assessments that need to be delivered going forward. Um, so it really is a mixed bag across the country.
Now, you're a former president of the National College Testing Association and now chair of the newly formed Academic Integrity Committee. So what do you all talk about in those committee meetings? What, what are the biggest topics of discussion? Well, sometimes it feels like all we do is talk about cheating, especially when there's like a, a scandal is reported or if an article is released and everyone's like, oh my goodness, we can't believe, you know, X, Y, and Z. But however, again, looking at the research that's out there and looking at best practices Really, prevention and planning is nine-tenths of everything that needs to be done, frankly. Um, We don't like to be reactive. So our work is more strategic and focused on that prevention and planning. Uh, We work to educate faculty by webinars, by creating guides and, and doing presentations on current methods and tools for cheating, best practices in the classroom, and for online test administrations. We also work significantly with students to you know, share with them the importance of academic honesty. Typically, this time of the year, uh, we're coming up on October, I believe it's 20th this year, the International Day for Academic Integrity, and the International Day uh, to Counter Contract Cheating, and, and working just getting the message out. Why is it important to be a good global citizen and to be ethical? And it can't be done just by saying those words. So like I mentioned, we, we created that video series as highlighted to engage students. Uh, we try to collaborate with other key organizations in the industry um, to be part of that strategic narrative, right? Currently, the National College Testing Association has projects with uh, ATP, the Association of Test Publishers, and ENI, the European Network of Academic Integrity. And we're finalizing another with the uh, International Center for Academic Integrity. They've also created proctoring videos that help proctors know what to look for, right? And and they're developing a proctor certification. So so it, it, there's there's a lot in there. Um, we not just sitting around, but I do have to tell you, a lot of it when something happens is sitting around talking about. You can't believe it. Actually, inspired me years back to put a collection together that's also available online called Test Proctor Share All. And I've been meaning to to get a pandemic edition because there's just been so many great stories with a colleague we uh, we know and love. So hopefully look for that soon. But really, it was just a collection of stories. I'm like, these are fascinating, like all these stories that I've heard. So we put them together. They're available through the College of DuPage website. Test Proctor Share All. What's one of your favorites? (laughs) So I was reminded of one today. And this wasn't even a cheating, but it just, again, goes under test proctor, Cheryl. We had an individual a few years back come into the testing center prepared to take, uh, so an academic test that a faculty had left, and they had a kangaroo in a carry-all. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they, wait, the, wait. And nobody so the remembers answer's... the name, but the joke is that the kangaroo was named Joey, obviously. And they're like, hey, can you watch Joey while I take my test? And people are like, <laughs> We can't make this up. <laughs> That's bizarre. I mean, so the answers clearly weren't in the pouch then. <laughs> well, but more more recently, so being remotely proctored from one of our colleagues in the remotely proctored testing center, they had uh, somebody's husband was kneeling on all fours underneath the the test, and like when they did the room scan, would like scurry away and then came back and had like post it notes all over them, and they're like, "Can what are we looking at?" <laughs> like the husband's on all four trying to so they can move away and not get caught, and sure enough, they got caught. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 
You can't see me, but my mouth is a gate yeah. right now because that one's just bizarre. Okay, that's crazy. Wow. We could do a whole podcast on the type we of could. cheating methods that we've had, but I kind of feel like we'd not want to share that to give people ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but they'll just have to read your, the online about what you posted and they'll get it anyway. <laughs> on a broader scale, you, you have talked about what DuPage does, some very specific actions. But on the, the big picture across the country, regardless of the size of the college or university or the grade level, what is it that has to be addressed to try to get a handle on this? I mean, is it culture, strategy, ethics? What do we do to ensure that education a degree, a diploma has meaning. And is part of that that we need to change the model of higher education a bit so that we don't have a faculty member or an adjunct faculty member teaching 600 students in a lecture hall? Let me answer that from from reverse, because I, I, I'm not an expert in, in course design, but I'll answer that last part a, a little bit differently with the fact that we, we have seen that uh, Regardless of, of what some of the research had previously said, you know, you, you create a level of intimacy with your students, um, and, and they they know who you are, etc. Um, we've seen those faculty report back that they've been burned just as as well <laughs> as faculty in like larger courses um, by students who post things to academic social networks, etc. So I think it's it goes into a a multi pronged approach. But it needs to be a strategic narrative, right? I don't think there's a silver bullet, but I do think there's a formula, and it's the way that we address a lot of other issues in higher ed. And I don't know that academic integrity has always been that proactive. It's been somewhat reactionary in some cases, right? When something comes up, they're addressed. They're often addressed well, uh, handled well. But as currently, as coming out of this pandemic, seeing students with more uh, available content online, and frankly, more predatory processes. I mean, we've seen, we've seen contract cheating sites. We've seen um, other areas directly solicit students in via text message, via their campus email address that says, "Hey, I noticed that you're in XYZ course. Would you like help on your final exam? I've written essays for two or three of your colleagues." That type of level of predatory. Um, content. And students are dealing with more now than before. They could be dealing, there's a lot of technology requirements placed on them. There are a, a lot of things post-pandemic. Every student is different and every one of them has their own narrative right now, right? So going back to the, to answer with the three areas, I think the culture needs to change. I honestly believe that every institution needs to take a hard look at this, peel back what they see what's really going on, look at some of the research, and then start from square one, right? Talk to their faculty, make them as aware as possible about what's going on. Uh, I don't think it's a time to turn a blind eye to any of this. It needs to be like a full court press on campus, like we had talked about with something like um, a mask mandate in some locations, signage everywhere, or not smoking on campus and signage everywhere. But the entire institution would also need to be speaking the same language. It really needs to be you know, it's somewhat holistic. It also, as far as strategy goes, it can't be forced, right? 
it needs to be we convened when we did a number of things a lot of student groups and i think that's a great case to start the students need to be involved they need a seat at the table they need to be able to discuss how post pandemic what they're seeing i mentioned the v before if faculty aren't aware of it and students are doubling down on content that they're being inundated with then those conversations need to overlap they need to match and the global the larger question students need to grasp when they walk through the door on the first day why the degree that they are seeking why it means something to them what their goals are and what they want to do with it because unfortunately if this continues and the message gets out it devalues that credential it devalues that certification if everyone can get it and there's a copy online the assessment is no longer valuable, right? So if everyone can cheat their way through this institution and this institution, then what is the value of that credential? So having that conversation, making them aware and engaging students, um, they're showing us more and more that you need to grab them. There's just little pieces coming at them. You know, in a society where someone came up with uh, TLDR, <laughs> too long didn't read and that's an acceptable response to a faculty member i've heard faculty say did you read the syllabus and the response simply was tldr so in in a current educational environment where that is where a student think it's acceptable to respond too long didn't read your syllabus it's not right but they're they're crying out for a level of engagement that isn't read the academic honesty statement and get it back to me because they're reading statements when they sign up for every social media platform there's a cookie statement they're inundated with statements right so one some of the exciting new work that we're that we are working on with the european network of academic integrity i mean we and, and the gamification committee that i'm on with the european network of academic integrity is looking exactly at that how how can we gamify the engagement of ethics at this level within higher ed so to make it right so that we can have those those conversations that kind of a start by blowing people away you know i love it when we share these crazy stories of you know the husband on all fours with post-it notes on him be like no way well that's okay so let's use that engagement that energy that we just both got out of that conversation and talk about why it's important not to engage in that type of behavior and to be more engaged in the actual learning process not just the transactional nature of going through the motions of getting this degree we're going to leave it there jared thank you so much for joining us on the score you've given us quite a lot to think about and it's important for i think all of us to consider and talk to our kids and if we teach talk to our students and colleagues about how we proceed and and what we think will work jarrett dyer is a test center administrator at the college of dupage former president of the national college testing association and chair of multiple academic integrity committees and co-investigator on several research projects I'm Katherine Barron. You've been listening to The Score. The Score is produced by the Academic Integrity and Research Group at Pando Public Relations. It is underwritten by Measure Learning and technical support is provided by This Is Distorted. To ask questions, to download show notes, or to learn more about The Score, visit our website at podcastthescore.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at podcastthescore. 
or find us on all the podcast platforms as The Score.